Hello, and a warm welcome to my Asthma Spotlight podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Levy. I'm a family doctor with a special interest in asthma. My aim is to help people with asthma and also their caregivers to understand more about this disease and how to stay safe. I will share lots of information about asthma. However, I will not be able to answer any personal medical questions for which you should really consult your own doctor. The opinions I express in the Asthma Spotlight podcast are my own and they are not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as medical, health or professional advice of any kind. Please do see the disclaimer details in the podcast description. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Asthma Spotlight podcast. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Gary MacDonald, who's a pharmacist from Scotland, who's joining us today. So, Gary, thanks so much for spending time uh, joining me on this podcast, the Asthma Spotlight podcast. I'm really delighted to welcome you here today. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell people who you are and what you do? Mark, Mark, thank you so much for that. The the honour and the privilege is all mine. I am a keen follower of your podcast, and uh, it's it was I was a bit taken aback when you sent me the invite, but I'm glad to share knowledge with you as well and share my experience as a pharmacist. So yeah, I'm I'm Gary Gary McDonald. I'm a pharmacist uh, up in Scotland in the north of England in the UK, uh, north of uh, the UK. Um, I I tend to not introduce myself to see what I am or what I do, but mainly why I'm a pharmacist and why respiratory. Um, I'm also an asthmatic. I was born and I had con- I was diagnosed with croup when I was about two years old. I was in and out of hospital as a child. I had probably every antibiotic going. I can probably tell you the flavours of every antibiotic as a child growing mm-hmm. up. Um, never. You probably, I mean, any doctors or nurses or pharmacists, you've probably seen me, my mother and his patients every month with antibiotic after antibiotic. It wasn't until I was about 14 years old, Mark, I was playing uh, playing rugby at quite a high level and I was struggling to breathe. Yeah. And I saw, I saw my doctor at the time and that was way back then. They they gave me subutamol tablets, if you may. I'm not I'm not saying I'm that old, but yeah. that's what they gave me. So the concentration of subutamol was the same in my big toes it was in my lungs. So I was getting mm-hmm. all the side effects. I was getting the hyp- hypokalemia. I was getting the twitchiness. 
and it wasn't until I was about 16 I had a, had a trial playing, playing rugby for Scotland. So quite a high level and it was quite important for me. And my, my GP at the time, so he came out with a phrase that, and we use it so much now. He said, Gary, you've you've probably got asthma. Yeah. And we talk about that that high and low probability nowadays. And and I'll be honest with you, Mark, and ashamedly so, I got a prescription for a subutamol inhaler. Um, I took it to my local pharmacy and they just called my name out, prescription for McDonald. So that's me. I was handed the inhaler. Nobody showed me how to use it and I was just sent on my merry, merry way. And Mark, I'll put my hands up today. I, as a patient, have never been shown how to use an inhaler. Yeah. As a healthcare professional, we do it and teach it. And now I don't know whether, because if I go to local pharmacies, they're usually friends or colleagues of mine, and they say they probably think I didn't show Gary how to use an inhaler because you know this is what he specialises in. But I would rather I, I, you know, I would I would prefer that everybody took the opportunity, you know, to to share correct inhaler technique. It's a it's a massive passion of mine. So uh, so that's why I'm a pharmacist, and that's why I'm in respiratory. That's what brings me here today. Well, well, what a story. Um... I, I missed the diagnosis in myself, I must admit. When I first started coughing and wheezing, I didn't know what was going on. And I had done a respiratory job. And in those days, uh, coughing wasn't really a commonly recognized symptom of asthma. So, Gary, tell us, what, what do you see the main roles of a... Remember, we, we're talking mainly for people with asthma. I know there are a lot of healthcare professionals that also listen to this podcast, but mainly for people with asthma... What, what would you say are the main roles of a high street pharmacist or a community pharmacist for people with asthma? How, how can people make the best use of their pharmacist? Brilliant question, Mark, because I think that the, not so much the role has changed, but how the public and how patients interact with their pharmacy since lockdown. So before patients would go to the, the GP, they put a request in for repeat prescriptions, they would go to the GP, pick up the prescription, but nowadays uh, in England, it's all done electronically. So the only interaction they have with a healthcare professional is when they come to the pharmacy to collect their prescription. Because more often than not, they're not going to the surgery for any other reason. And in fact, if there's any asthmatics listening today as well, I would certainly urge them to get an annual asthma review. That's key in the management of asthma. Um, and also for our pharmacists as well, they are in, uh, in community pharmacy or retail pharmacy, wherever it's called, whatever country you're in. Uh, I've heard a variety of different names call it, um, but we are we are essentially, and I'm going to coin a phrase that my my pharmacist colleague Darushatar Zadi said. He said we're the we're the we're the we're the Saba guardians. We're like the gatekeepers of inhalers. You know, we're the only healthcare professional patients see. So we need to we need to be on the ball with patients coming in. So if I see patients coming in saying whether well, a Saba inhaler. Um, and I know you've done previously in previous podcasts. Yeah, can, you, can you explain what a SABA is, Gary? Yep, great. So SABA is your, your short-acting, your reliever inhaler, the blue inhaler, as it is in most countries. Um, usually either salbutamol if you're in the UK, albuterol if you're in other countries, and also terbutylene. That's the one that gives you that instant relief. Now, that's the that's the uh, what we used to see was the treatment for it, but actually we now know it's not necessarily treatment. It gives us relief, but we need to look at the bigger picture with asthma. Um, so, But even for your preventer inhalers, for inhaled corticosteroids, you still have to come to the pharmacy, or so we thought. Now, that's the case in the UK. The work we've been doing with Asthma Right Care, um, with the International Primary Care Respiratory Group, we've now identified that 
we used to think, oh, it's the it's the GPs, it's the family physicians handing out too many prescriptions. Well, actually, there's so many other countries now where you don't need a prescription for subutor or albuterol. You can just buy it over the counter from the pharmacy. So actually, it's the pharmacists who are the gatekeepers of it. And so we need to we need to talk to our local pharmacists, and we are doing that with Asthma Right Care. We have a Teach the Teacher campaign that we went all over the world with, uh, South America, Sub-Saharan Africa, and Australia. Um, just getting that message across to pharmacists that the blue inhaler isn't the treatment for asthma nowadays. It's uh, it's 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 more important that it goes deeper than that and an understanding about the disease. That's that's such an important point, really, because um, we know over the last uh, ten years or so that um, many healthcare professionals are only becoming aware of the risks of uh, regular use of those reliever inhalers. And yet um, the research evidence has been there over 25 years. So um, why, why do you think um, pharmacists are dispensing these? Is, is this down to, to money or what is it? Why, why are they dispensing these reliever inhalers and not encouraging people to go back to their doctors to get a prescription for a controller or a preventer? You're so right, Mark, and I think uh, the great work done by Alberto Papi in, in Italy kind of brought it home back pre-lockdown is identifying all the issues that they, we have, and I think maybe sharing that knowledge with other pharmacists as well. You know, the the the, the beta receptor tolerance, that's the, the receptors within the lungs. If you're constantly using your blue inhaler, your reliever inhaler, you can develop a tolerance to it as well. You can develop bronchial rebound bronchoconstriction, so you're actually it comes back even tighter, increased inflammation, increased response to to whatever allergens are out there, and more importantly, I don't think we know the long term data if we just treat patients with that. And I would probably say it's not, it's maybe just a lack of awareness through a lot of healthcare professionals because. Mark, you you and I both know that maybe 10, 15 years ago, the standard treatment for asthma was just a blue inhaler. And yeah. and that and we were happy with that as healthcare professionals. But things have moved on now, and we know that asthma is an inflammatory condition. You don't treat an inflammatory condition with your with your Saba inhaler. You need an inhaled corticosteroid. So it's maybe just raising that awareness and saying to your healthcare professionals that. Asthma as a disease hasn't changed, but how we manage it and how we treat it certainly has changed, and we need to get back up to speed with it. Um, I know a lot of healthcare professionals that what they get taught at undergraduate level, that's the same level of clinical confidence they'll carry through their whole career, you know, and, and things change, you know, and they just we have a duty and an obligation to keep up with continuing education. Some people don't, so it's identifying that and just sharing knowledge, and that's, and that's why this... Uh, this platform here, Mark, is a brilliant opportunity just to get just to share that knowledge and get the message out there as well. Yeah. So here's here's a difficult question for you, Gary. We're we're on an audio podcast. Are you are you able to explain to people how to use their inhaler? If we take the two main kinds of inhalers, the pressurized meter dose, uh, so-called puffers, and the dry powder devices, are you able to briefly explain how? How the difference, uh, how, what the differences are in Mark, using these two types of inhalers. Mark, I'm laughing to myself now because actually it's one of the skills we've developed over lockdown because we're not seeing patients. Uh, we would do patients, we would see patients uh, virtually either, or, you know, through 
through web, through through uh, webinars or through uh, video consultations. But then some patients don't have that as well. So I've had to kind of develop this, you know, so we can do it over the phone. And the way I would normally do it, and it probably hopefully should work quite well with the podcast, is I would explain to patients what we're doing and explain why we're doing it. I think the importance is the why we do these steps. And that gives a better understanding they're there. So um, pharmacist colleague of mine, the great Anna Murphy in Leicester, she's developed the seven simple steps. Bit of an alliteration, but it actually works brilliantly. So the first thing we would do, now this is this virtually all of these steps, bar a couple, are the exact same for no matter what inhaler you have. The first step you do, you would prepare the inhaler device. Now, that that could mean twisting it, pulling it, uh, opening it, uh, flicking it, whatever's particular for that device to prepare the device, to open it, to ready it for, for it to be used. The next stage uh, would be loading the dose. Now, some inhalers, preparing the inhaler and loading the dose is integral and it's one step in itself. But others, you might have to put a capsule in there uh, some you might need to twist it to drop a powder down. Um, certainly with uh, MDI or your pressurized puffers, you would need to shake them beforehand as well. That's very important. Uh, so they're all preparing the device and preparing the dose is all particular and, and unique for each one as well. The third step we do is I explain to patients that they need to breathe out first. Breathe out fully away from the device. And this is probably more important if you're using a dry powder because by its very nature, it's a dry powder. If you breathe out, your breath is hot, wet, moist, humid. And if you breathe that into a dry powder, it just coagulates and sits in a big lump. You know, it's like if you're mixing up a nice roux, if you're a good chef, when, you're, when your flour gets lumpy, that's what happens to it as well with your hot, wet, moist breath. So breathe out. And you need to breathe out because if you don't breathe out, you can't breathe out. Breathe in. So Breathe out fully and gently away from the inhaler. When you've done so, bring the inhaler up to the mouth. Make a nice tight seal around the mouthpiece. Seal the lips around it and begin to start breathing in. Now, before we get to that stage, this is where, this is where we deviate. So we've got two different types of inhalation type, and this is really important. And a lot of healthcare professionals don't understand this and maybe not even aware of this. I see it with a lot of patients. They they have either a meter dose in here or a dry powder, and they use it the exact same inhalation technique for both, which is incorrect. So let me break it down. If you have a meter dose inhaler, it's coming out at probably between 60 to 70 miles an hour. Now, for that, we need to slow down. If you think about it, it's 60, 70 miles an hour. It has to go around a 90-degree bend at the back of the throat. If you're driving at 60 or 70 miles an hour, you would want to slow down if you're going down around a 90-degree bend. So that's why we slow that down very slowly, probably down to, to less than 60 litres per minute. And for me, how I teach my patients that is that that should be about four seconds to breathe in fully. If you if you've a wee timer on, and if I say if you breathe in fully before the four seconds is up, you're breathing in too fast. So I let them feel what that speed looks like, and that slows it down. If ideally, if patients have played any ball sports like uh, soccer or or netball or anything like that, when you go to catch a ball, right, you take the speed off the ball, and that's what we're doing with the meter dose inhaler, is slowing it down 
taking the speed off it. And as you start to breathe in, that's when you would actuate the device. You've probably got between four or five seconds to continue breathing in uh, with that as well. Now, hold that there as well. If you have a dry powder inhaler, the key to that is actually the device has no energy at all. If you prime the device and prime the dose, it just sits there really lazy. So as a patient, you need to give it energy. So for those, you need to give it a very hard, fast, forceful breath and a continuous breath in as well. So the exact opposite of what a meter dose inhaler would be. Meter dose inhalers, again, they come out very fast. We need to slow them down. Dry powder inhalers are very lazy. They sit there. We need to give them the energy. So once you've taken your breath in, we're back on the same track again for both inhalers. You would remove the inhaler from the mouth. And you ideally would hold just your breath for about 10 seconds. Now, I would also say to patients, ideally 10 seconds, but whatever's comfortable for you. If you're having an asthma attack, I wouldn't expect the patient to hold their breath for 10 seconds. Whatever's going to be comfortable for them. And then our seventh and final step is, I would wait about 30 seconds to a minute before, if we need to, taking a second buff. So if you've been prescribed two puffs, then you would wait about 30 seconds to a minute for the next puff. And also, if you have a if you have a reliever inhaler, like your blue salbutamol or your albuterol, I also say this to patients that just wait. You might not need to take a second puff. Patients shouldn't necessarily be preconditioned to think, I have to take two puffs, I have to take two puffs. And what is certainly not is two puffs right after each other. It's not two puffs on the same breath. That's really important. Mm. I would always think it's it was to do with the uh, the receptors in the lungs, but actually it's to do with the physiochemical principles of the nozzle of the inhaler. As you depressurize it, the liquid turns into a gas, and the tip of the nozzle of your inhaler drops below freezing. You need to wait about 15 to 30 seconds for it to come back up above to room temperature. So it's that's the reason why we would wait. And you know, more often than not, if you're using your blue inhaler, you might not need to take that second puff, which is really important. So that's our seven simple steps, uh, courtesy of Anna Murphy. And I, they're a Bible for me. And uh, certainly when I'm going to do it with patients on the phone, I explain why they're going to do it. And I try and listen for the clicks and the breaths with the patient as well. Hopefully, if you're listening, uh, listening to this as well, you'll have picked up on that. What a wonderful description. I... Uh... I, I think that is absolutely marvellous because a lot of consultations are now being done by telephone, by GPs. I'm not sure that I know many GPs will be able to give such a good explanation. Um, that's really helpful. Thank you. Now, I know um, we've both got an interest in um, the kind of images and pictures that we see in newspapers and on television broadcasts when there's a program on asthma. And invariably, they show a picture of somebody using a blue inhaler. And we know those blue inhalers are the relievers that you've been talking about, the drugs that don't actually work to uh, focus on the, the actual cause of asthma, the inflammation, the swelling of the air passages. And yet um, the press and even in medical publications, um, we tend to see many of these blue inhalers. Now, I know you've been quite active in trying to promote the use of better images uh, for asthma to try and um, educate people, educate the press and educate people with asthma, that the blue inhaler is not the solution 
or else for treatment. So can you tell us a bit about the work that you've been doing in that area? So, yeah, we've had a global initiative with the International Primary Care Respiratory Group. Um, And this was kind of kicked off probably out of frustration, Mark, that whenever we would see that, you would just cringe and go, no, not another one. You know, and it's so it's kind of multifactorial. It's not just about the yet showing an image of a blue inhaler. Inevitably, it's an image of a blue inhaler not being used correctly. As I was mentioning before, that it's the two puffs at the same time and the patient breathing in really hard. Or it's a it's a picture of a, a three-year-old child trying to use a, 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 a meter dose inhaler without a spacer device. You know, so we kind of develop something, you know, if, if you're just going to go to stock pictures, and that's more often than it is, there's so many uh, repositories of images of, of inhalers. You can pick what you want that are usually uh, royalty-free. And, you know, if you're an editor of a journal or whatever, you just go, yeah, that's a picture of an inhaler. That'll do. Throw it in there. Nobody's going to know. But actually, we cringe when we see it because it sends out the wrong message. So it's not just about pictures of the blue, blue inhaler. It's about, you know, using the right inhaler, but using the right inhaler correctly as well. Exactly. So. With IPCRG, we've developed an, an image repository that's free. Uh, we just asked for, for to be credited, just to say uh, courtesy of. Uh, it's the right inhaler image. Can you just say IPCRG is? The International Care. Primary Care Respiratory Group. So yeah. it has a presence in over 80 countries throughout the world. Um, uh, in the UK, or the UK affiliate is the Primary Care Respiratory Society. Uh, in Portugal, we have GRASP. In Spain, there is GRESP. So they have, they have a presence all over the world. Um, and these pictures cross borders. You know, an image, a picture paints a thousand words, Mark. We know that. So it's getting the right image out there. And that's what the campaign was called, Right Inhaler Image. You know, it does it does what it says on the tin. So it's not just about the blue inhaler. It's about the right inhaler and using the inhaler correctly. More so with their pediatric patients as well, not using uh, a valved holding chamber as well. So we've got the right images and we're happy to share them. We're happy for for uh, for media outlets to use them as well. We're happy for uh, journals, journalists to use them and also medical journals as well. There's nothing worse when you see in a medical journal a feature about asthma or respiratory or inhalers and they've got the wrong image and I just think you can't even get that right. So the, the website is, is ipcrg.org, is it? Org, yes. I'll, I'll drop you the link, Mark, and I'm sure you can put that in your uh, in your oh, podcast a bit for people to follow up as well. No, that's wonderful. You, you're probably aware that I was one of the six people who started the UK group. <laughs> and I remember the meeting when we formed the IPCRG in 2020 in Cambridge. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing that that group has grown the way that it has. Um, now, can you can you talk a little bit about the 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 roles? So, how can people use their pharmacist if they've got asthma? What what sort of roles have pharmacists taken on board um, in terms of management of asthma? So, we're talking it, mainly it, about community pharmacists. Yeah, so it, it varies across the country. So, it depends what type of pharmacy you've got. And we're all community pharmacists. We're all clinical pharmacists. Um, I would always say that if you're a community pharmacist, you're still clinical as well. Um, We see patients face to face. There's some brilliant examples out there. There's some really bad examples. But let me share with you some really good examples. Um, 
So we've got pharmacists that get an interest in asthma as well. I know a couple of pharmacists will now actually do phenol monitoring. That's the fractionate of expired nitrous oxide in the pharmacy, which is great feedback for patients to check to see that their, their inhaled corticosteroid is working. We would we used to do that as well, and we still do it with smoking cessation with the carbon dioxide monitor, just to give patient feedback on there. Um, one of my colleagues in Fife, uh, Benedict Colford in uh, Cadham Pharmacy, she would get her counter assistant. So your your non clinical staff, they would actually have an a, a chat with patients beforehand as well when they hand their prescription, and you know um, we can do that as well. So the the tests like the ACT, the asthma control test, or the ACQ, you can. You can give that to your patient to fill in whilst they're waiting. You can have it, have it ready for the pharmacist when, when it's been dispensed. Pharmacists can assess that. Have a quick look and say, listen, you know, do you want any chat about it? We notice your, your ACT score is quite high there as well. Can we just check your inhaler technique? And I always say, and I will say this to pharmacists, that every opportunity is an opportunity to assess inhaler technique. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great uh, great test that's out now. We, it's called the Reliever Reliance Test. Uh, I, I don't know if you've came across I'm it, Mark. Aware of it, yeah. yeah, it's developed by a pharmacist who's now into kind of cognitive behaviour. Uh, pharmacist Rob Horn. So yes. I can't take any credit, but I, I, I really know, like I know it. Rob, I know Rob well. It gives us it gives us an insight into what the patient's relationship with their blue inhaler and with their brown inhaler is. You know, so what do they think it does for them? Um, and it opens us up to an understanding inside the patient's mind. Um, I went to when Rob described it to me. He said it's uh, it's very much like these questionnaires that you get in some of these women's magazines that tell you how great a lover you are and these things. But it tells you how how good a far, how good an asthmatic patient you are. But it gives us an insight into why why don't you use your brown inhaler as much? Why are you relying too much on your on your blue inhaler? So, but there's some great pharmacists out there. The the role of the pharmacist is changing. The undergraduate degree is changing in pharmacy. And a couple of years, all pharmacists will come out with a prescribing qualification in the UK. Uh, other countries are quite different. Um, you mentioned that before as well. Some countries, the pharmacist is just seen as a retailer and just looking to sell things. So that's what we're doing with asthma right here is getting that message out there that, do you know what? Yeah, it might be good for business. You might think in the short term of it selling loads and loads of blue inhalers. But actually, for your patient, it's not the way forward. Um, it's using that, you know, your preventer in here. And, and we should be doing this as pharmacists ourselves as well. When you're seeing prescriptions, uh, you know, every month after month for two blue inhalers, two blue, two blue, month after month, but no no preventer in here, that's, that's alarm bells for me. Uh, to have that conversation with the patient, just to break the ice and say, listen, actually, th- what you're doing and how you're doing it is not how we manage asthma. Let me have a word with you, and we can, uh, and, and maybe refer you back to your doctor as well. Yeah, you remind me of a, a wonderful experience that I had in the past. I was um, asked to to judge uh, um, asthma doctors um, in the UK for a, a prize for a magazine called the Doctor Magazine, and in that process, I met a pharmacist many years ago who was really ahead of her time. She was a pharmacist in Hull and in the UK, and she was noticing that people were collecting um, blue inhalers, reliever inhalers, or that people were asking her to remove the preventer inhaler from their prescriptions because they couldn't afford them and because they felt that they weren't working, weren't helping for their asthma. Yeah. And she worked with her local general practice to alert the practice. Every time she saw a patient who she thought was at risk in this way, 
she'd learned to practice and as a team they worked very very well just to to finish off um gary i i wonder what you think about the current situation in the uk now i don't know whether this is going to happen in other countries but you're you're aware that we've got a shortage of doctors in the uk and particularly shortage of gps and they're also very busy and now our politicians are recommending that people go and see their pharmacist for medical advice. Now, what do you think about that as an idea? Um, especially because at the moment we don't have any regulation or people don't know what sort of training their particular pharmacist has had. What do you, what do you think about this idea? So let me start, Mark. We we have a, a, a comprehensive undergraduate degree um, we are clinically trained as well. Uh, we also do a year postgraduate for for foundation training as well. Uh, so we have we have a clinical background there as well. That's that that's not that's not in dispute. It's it's also the level of clinical competence, and you can say that about most healthcare professionals as well. Yes, um, also, but but I would say it's about the workload as well. So since COVID, the workload of the community pharmacy has rocketed. Um, whether or not that they have the capacity to see patients now being moved from 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 primary care back to community, I would probably say. And I work I work in all sectors. I work in hospital, primary care, and community. We are just snowed under. We are really really struggling. So the government to say that I'm not going to get political, but you need to put systems in place before you move patients across. Yeah. You know, you have to give capacity in other areas before you have to open up other channels before you can move it across. I don't think I don't think it's something that that would be a problem for pharmacy, but given the current workload, it's going to be really hard. But I do I do totally take on board your concerns, not necessarily about referring to other healthcare professionals, but I've seen uh, unqualified reception staff making diagnoses and giving triage to patients and saying, "Yeah, you're okay. Just go home, take some paracetamol." Uh, yeah. I see a lot of that. I see patients who shouldn't even be referred to me in pharmacy, should be referred to A&E. Uh, and I've had that. So, But but I, also, I would always say, Mark, nobody comes to work to do a bad job in healthcare. Sure. We're all trying to do it, but, but, but patients do fall through it. And, and I really I do take on board what you're saying. I think that, yes, where we are with the NHS in the UK, we are really struggling. There isn't a quick fix solution. Everybody's everybody's struggling right now as it is, and to to take the workload off of one area and somebody put it across to another area, not necessarily community pharmacy or anywhere else. But if you're already struggling in another area, that's not going to be a solution. You're just going to move patients from one to another and and pass them from pillar to post. So there's other roles within primary care, and I think that's what could be the future as well. Not necessarily, you know, uh, covering for a GP, not necessarily being in place of the GP, but supporting the GP and the multidisciplinary team. So at 10, 15 years ago, if you went into your practice, all you might see was a GPs and, and maybe one or two nurses. Yeah. But now you've seen a multitude of different... So I think that's what the future could be. Now, yeah. that's what we can do in primary care. A patient could see me within primary care and I could refer to the GP with an, with an internal review process. So, Gary, we've spoken a bit about training requirements for healthcare professionals looking after people with asthma. From uh, my perspective, I think um, people with asthma really have a right to expect to see someone who's adequately trained in that uh, area. And 
I think you're right. Um, we, you mentioned that with the NRAD report as well, that we have to add, add somebody, somebody in the practice who is the, the asthma lead, you know, and take on uh, qualifications for that. At PCRS, we have a brilliant document called Fit to Care. It looks at if you want to be that person, what do you need to, what do you need to attain? Now, actually, there's nothing to say, and I've seen one of my friends has done this in, in, in her pharmacy, nothing to say that your local pharmacy can also be that that asthma specialist as well. Yeah. You might not have access to records, so that's there's a there's political level involved there as well. But but honestly, I would I would come back as well. I said we need to engage with our patients, and if anybody's listening who is an asthma patient, you, you know you also have a duty of care yourself to you know to engage with your healthcare professionals. So many asthma patients, and I see this, um, don't attend an annual review. You know, yeah. and it's and, and no matter what we do, the amount of times we write to them or send SMS text messages, we can email them, and they don't attend. And the next time I hear something about it is when I get a discharge letter from hospitals saying this patient of yours was admitted with an asthma attack. And I said, well, we, we try to do what we can. So we need to work with patients. Patients need to be part of the healthcare team. I think we've lost sight of the patient yeah. as well with that. So if you're a patient, engage with your, your local healthcare team, with your family physician, with your GP, and your local pharmacist as well, you know, and see what they can provide. And, and if they're not interested in, in asthma, um, tell them to listen to the podcast, Mark. Gary, thanks so much for your time. It's been a privilege and honour to chat to you, Mark, uh, and just share some share some of the knowledge and some of the, the nuggets that I have learned along the way. Uh, and hopefully, actually, we can, we can make a difference in asthma and as I said at the very beginning, inhaler techniques are massive passion of mine. Um, I think it's uh, it's a bit like smoking cessation that everybody thinks because smoking cessation is everybody's responsibility. Actually, nobody ends up doing it because everybody thinks somebody else is going to be doing it with a patient. It's the same with inhaler technique. Doesn't matter where you are. You're a consultant, a GP, a pharmacist, a nurse. Learn how to use an inhaler correctly and learn how to check a patient's inhaler technique before you give them an inhaler as well. And patients, if you don't know how to do it, um, check yourself. And I think there's plenty of videos online. And Mark, I think you'll be able to share some share some great resources on that as well for patients to go and have a look at themselves uh, and check, check some resources out on, on inhaler technique as well. So you've summarized very nicely. I suppose um, we've spoken about the roles of the pharmacist. We've spoken about inappropriate images that are online and inhaler technique and also you've covered very nicely um, some aspects of the future role of uh, pharmacists in in managing and helping people with asthma and being part of the team so yeah. thank you very much uh, Gary I've really appreciated your time and um, I uh, look forward to seeing you again in the near future. I'm sure Mark, we'll, we'll manage to catch up in the flesh again sometime as well. It's uh, it's quite different seeing everybody through uh, through screens and uh, listening to the one podcast, but nothing beats uh, getting back to pressing the flesh, Mark. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Gary. Bye-bye for now.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details thank you for listening to my podcast if you found this helpful and i hope you did please click the like and the follow buttons and share this podcast please do send me any feedback or questions to my email address asmaspotlight at gmail.com and I'll do my best to answer these in future episodes.